Welcome to the Desired Brethren Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am Tanner Hoffs. I am Jackson O'Brien. And we are without Dave for the first time Very in first our history. Time. Everyone, everyone's been absent at least once now, right? I feel, I feel vulnerable. I feel like I'm without, almost like without my clothes, like without Dave. Yeah. I mean, he covers me in some way. It's terrifying. That's why I don't wear shirts when I'm with Dave. Like I have my shirt on right now, but when I'm with Dave, I don't. So I miss him too. (laughs) Yeah. We all miss Dave. Uh, But before you tune out and skip to a new podcast, Mm. stay because it is not just Jackson and I and our opinions. We have a third – we have a guest here. Hooray! That we are excited to share for you. Our guest is going to introduce herself far better than I could. Um, hello. Hola. My name is Alejandra Ortiz. I am uh, from Mexico, from Tijuana. I'm currently studying at Regent College. I'm here for a year with my husband so I can finish my MA. But prior to that, I was doing um, – full-time ministry work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship or mm. with the counterpart movement of InterVarsity in, in Mexico called Compa. So basically I had been working with university students, with staff who work with university students, with graduates, and just trying to engage the university context and training students to read scripture, to study scripture, uh, to engage with their fellow classmates about what God has to do with what they're studying, and also to be leaders within society and their churches. Mm. So that's a bit of what I was trying to do <laughs> back in Mexico in the northwest part of the country. Wow. So pretty much like way overqualified for our podcast. It sounds like the coolest person we've had yet. I think it might be the coolest person, which is great. Yeah, we had orientation together. Uh, that's how I got to know her and her husband, Abdiel. And we wanted to talk to Alejandra because, well, for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that's interesting about Alejandra is she has lived for in Tijuana for her whole life. And Tijuana receives the most, mm. or maybe it's close to the top, mm. uh, the most short-term mission trips. So when a youth group goes out for seven days to build a house and do a VBS or a group of adults go out, usually because it's so close to the American border, they Mm -hmm. will go to Tijuana and it's perceived as there's a lot of poverty there. It has a lot of need and it's very close. So I know youth groups. I think my sister's gone to Tijuana Mm -hmm. in a youth group. I went to Belize with a week long mission trip and to Haiti and Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. So, we had, we often talk amongst ourselves as like Canadians. Are these effective? Is it about us? You know, we come back with a profile picture for our Facebook of Don't do us this, with Tanner. cute Don't kids do in it. our hands. No, listen, I literally anybody can go on my Facebook and there is a picture of me with a bunch of Haitian children. I have this stereotypical picture. And so we don't get the perspective very often of Mm. the receiving end. What is this like for the Mexican church? What is it? Mm. Is it good? Like, are they so glad? Like, I think Americans spent, spend every year something like $1.6 billion on short-term mission trips. And if like a significant amount of that money is going to Tijuana, I would assume it's a paradise on earth there. But (laughs) let's ask Alejandra. Don't get it. I mean, I guess my first question is just, 
did you grow up with this? Was this part of your church or just something you saw around you? Well, I didn't grow up as a Christian. So okay. I actually became a Christian when I was 15 years old. It was through a couple of teachers who were actually sharing the gospel and who had become Christians in university through student ministry. So that's why I was really um, very involved in student ministry since I became a Christian. But actually, I became in contact with short-term missions not very long after I became a Christian because I had friends um, who were also teachers in the school who were pastors and some of them were just church leaders. So they invited me once in the summer uh, to go uh, to translate for a group who was coming. I don't know if they were coming from the U.S. or from Canada. Are you saying that Canadians and Americans are the same? Because yeah. this is really hurtful. <laughs> was oh. it an American? Or are you saying we have the same impact there? <laughs> well, I don't really know. I would not be, I'm not in a position to say that. No, but actually, yeah, they are, it was a very um, marginal uh, community in Tijuana. Which I think I haven't even gotten there before I went to the church and helped mm. out with the translation with the group. And that was just, for me, a first experience. And I thought, I mean, they were nice. They were basically teaching the kids to sing, jump, dance. And they were taking some, like, crouch and crafts and doing some building in the church, helping out with that. So my first impression was they're nice people. They're really not making a huge difference. I mean, anyone could kind of go and do that, and they don't have to travel miles and miles. Right, right. So it was just, I didn't have a lot of thoughts about it. Uh, I started seeing it more often, and then I started having some thoughts about it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I want to ask about, before you were a Christian, is this something you knew was happening that, like, a lot of American and Canadians would show up and do something about poverty, or was it... I mean, maybe you grew up in not poor areas of Tijuana, so maybe you didn't even know about this. No, I think I did have some knowledge of it because it's very stereotypical. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you kind of know that when a big white band with a bunch of uh, blonde people um, are coming (laughs) into Tijuana, uh, they're, they're, they're usually going to build a house. Yeah, I mean, they're going to build a house and they're going to do something. But it's usually just like a, um, I don't know, it's the idea a lot of us have. It's just, it's very paternalistic and mm. it's just very, um, it doesn't help with, with. so my, my thoughts were like, oh, they're just coming here for like, for tourism in a sense. Mm. And it, it wasn't a feeling of they're coming here to help. It was more a feeling of this is just what they do. So I think that's what I knew before I became a Christian about the groups. Hmm. Have you, you're saying that you've had more interactions with, um, it's associated, sorry, with InterVarsity, right? Mm -hmm. Which is different than Campus for Christ. They're different, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Which Campus for Christ isn't even called Campus for Christ. Campus Crusade, right? Or Uh, or is it Power to Change? Power to Change or Navigators, right? Man, they change. I don't know why they change so often, but anyway, (laughs) with that role which you're kind of, you were on staff at a university and now you're kind of overseeing a bunch of universities mm. in your province. Do Does InterVarsity like host other student groups of student ministries or do you send them? Like, are you involved in sending short-term? We do send our students to, we wouldn't call them short mission trips though. 
we call them like learning experiences in mm. which they go to uh, an urban slum in near Mexico City mm. or they would do a project in around the border in Tijuana and San Diego learning about immigration, deportation and all of those, all of those issues through a more biblical, social, economic, political, historical perspective about it. Uh, and we would wow. do it for a week or a week and a half or we would do it, um, we would send students to always partner with an organization that is doing something or similar organizations that are doing stuff, um, they would go maybe to the forest down south and south of the country, and they would do something among the rural, uh, more in the rural areas with native groups. So it, it depends. So we would do those type of learning projects, but we would never, uh, we would frame it very differently. So it's like learning uh, and service projects and it's actually not that you're going to go and do something you're going to go and learn about what god is doing in certain place so mm. that's how we would frame the the experience and we do receive groups uh from university mostly from the u.s but it's also the same so the framework is they're coming not to do something or to teach something or to give mm. they're actually coming to learn i do want to follow you up on that because I have this thing in my head that we all know short-term mission trips are kind of bad, so we've all put a different name on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like Campus Crusade for Christ. We were like, boy, Crusade doesn't sound very good anymore. <laughs> Let's call it, it Campus, Campus for sure. – no, it never sounded good. I don't know. <laughs> and now we're like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Power to change. <laughs> but in the same way, mission trips were like, oh, short-term mission trips. Well, let's call them learning trips. <laughs> Talk me through, like, are you doing all the same things that you grew up seeing groups doing, but you're doing it with a different attitude? Are you, like, actually not doing the same things? Uh, no, we're definitely not doing the same things. So usually the groups that come to Tijuana, they build houses. And um, the effects of that is actually really damaging for for the communities. Because mm. what happens is that uh, a church or just a group chooses to build houses for families. And there's most of the time not a structure or an infrastructure to choose what family is going to be, has kind of have a help built for them, a house or whatever. And that creates a lot of sometimes jealousy within the community and not very healthy dependency in many ways. So yeah, well, and we don't do anything like that. So we would never build a house or- Do you paint a house? Or paint a house, yeah. We wouldn't do that. Nothing with houses anymore. No, no. no. no it actually has to, it doesn't have to do with doing something or with trying to fix, which I think it's the motto or the mindset of like we come to fix something That's and we come to or we come to paint something and feel that we've done mm-hmm. anything. Um we it's actually more framed about for example, coming into Tijuana, walking as everyone does with a car, going into public mm-hmm. transportation with the students as most people do going into Casa Migrante, which is one of the biggest shelters, and eating with the deportees, Mm. staying at Casa Migrante with our Mexican students there, and actually uh, having a time to learn about why people are being deported, a bit of the history of the city also, Mm. and then having time actually to lament the fact that it's happening, because it's very, very powerful to hear the stories of the people who just have been separated from their families. Hmm. So that's like, the, that. you would say that's at like a day. And then the other day after that, uh, we would maybe make ourselves some breakfast there at Casa. And then we would walk the city. So literally, we would walk what uh, 
person who just had has been deported would walk. We would go to downtown uh, Tijuana to the red light district and see the effects of human trafficking and prostitution that's actually mm -hmm. fueled by a lot of young Americans uh, mm -hmm. who come and cross the border as some college students. And so you, they would see a lot of that. And as you, we're not doing anything. And they're actually not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed <laughs> to carry any money, extra, extra money, so they can give it to someone. The, and then after that, we would just talk more and then have Bible studies led by sometimes by Mexican students, most of the time by Mexican students or staff. Yeah, and then we would go to the uh, place in Playas, which is like the beach where the border goes into the ocean. And there's a, there's people who try to meet there from both sides of the border because they've been separated. So that's the only place where I can actually see each other through a fence. So they would experience that. They would see the families being separated. And so as you can see, we're not, they're not doing actually anything. Maybe they would, we would partner with an organization who takes me a meal for a lot of these people and help them out, but not as we're serving them food, more as we're helping the volunteers in Tijuana who have a lot of things to do, just help them out this day. So we're serving in a way, but it's really not about what we can do. It's more about what we can learn from the people and actually creating a lot of discomfort so that's actually one of the purposes of these kind of exposure learning trips it's more to create discomfort in the students and just a lot of questions and try to help them see the world through another lens so alejandra i'm wondering is the is the model the fixed model and like go and build a house and go and paint a house or fix something is that still prevalent or are you finding that there's a change in the same direction that you're doing with IVCF? No, definitely the, the um, building a house model is still prevalent. But in 2008, there was like a big wave of violence in the northwest of the country, mm. in Tijuana, which was really affected. And it was really interesting because before 2008, we had, as always, like just thousands of group pouring, groups pouring into the city. But when the violence started, no one showed up. Mm. So mm -hmm. that actually, um, that was actually really good for the church because. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly the opposite of what we want to hear. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it was, it was really good because first of all, it made people, I think because of we're next to the U.S., which is a very, I mean, economically very powerful nation. And Mexico com comparison is always seen as a more dependent and inferior country, mm -hmm. I guess. And also because the gospel, in a sense, also came from the north. Mm -hmm. there's, the, there's this idea of, well, not this idea, but actually this dependency. So in 2008, not having groups come and a lot of money not actually coming in. Because it depends a lot of group, it depends on groups coming that a lot of money is actually poured into the churches. Unless there's good partnerships, but most of the time there are really strong partnerships because there's no real friendships. After 2008, it was good because the church saw that they didn't necessarily need the presence of foreigners mm. to help out their community. And they mm. had to come up with creative ways of uh, dealing with the needs and actually seeing that building a house was not the most important thing that needed to be done or painting the church, which mm. was done every year. I mean, that wasn't... an uh, uh, urgent need. There were other things that needed attention. That experience changed the way that groups were seen. So when the Haiti earthquake happened, 
I remember Ivy and I, I think we were dating at the time. Ooh. And we were like, we just, we need to get to Haiti. Like, let's just, let's just find a way. And like, that didn't work out. You know, thank you, God, for, you know, <laughs> moving fools away from those kind of things. But I did lead a trip there a year and a half later. And it was because, oh, there's so much need, but it wasn't violence. It was like, oh, it's somehow safe because it wasn't a political, you know, disaster. It was more of a, what, what do you call that? Natural disaster. <laughs> Natural disaster. Mm-hmm. And Haiti got so much aid. And it is, I think it's like poorer than when it started. Mm-hmm. I think I, I read a stat the other day that it's poorer than when it started with all that aid. Yeah, and, and so having violence in your community almost as a way of, for a while, to have something cut off, and then discovering that, like, oh, this actually wasn't the most healthy thing, that's fascinating. Is the violence, like, what is Tijuana like now? Is it starting to get those missions back, or is it still, has it learned its lesson, or do you think mm-hmm. it'll probably go back to what it was? The violence did subdue, I think, after a year or two years, uh, maybe like a couple of years. And we started, we did start getting groups back maybe in 2010, 2011. I think there's more consciousness now, though, more about partnership. And I think that's come also because of U.S. churches thinking more about what equal partnership looks like. I think it's harder, in a sense, for Mexican churches because, I mean, there is an economic need and, and there is a lot of things that could be done and there is money needed. Mm-hmm. But sometimes because of the power dynamics with people bringing in the money, it's hard to actually tell them what how things should be done. Mm-hmm. So I think there's been a good initiative by some churches in the U.S. to kind of try to develop friendship and partnerships. And I think there are some models of churches who didn't stop coming or or at least they maybe stopped bringing people but they continued in contact with the church and have lasting friendships with the people but those aren't the most common experiences those are actually the least common i'm just wondering where the like the communication got lost it feel like it got lost like i'm still hung up on because like that's what my church did growing up is we sent people to build a house and for some reason that like, so that's where I am. I'm hung up on why doesn't it get communicated properly? Yeah, I think I want to ask that question too, I think. But mm. just reflecting on my own experience over the last week, I'm astounded at myself how little I've changed on this one. Like mm. with all the knowledge I've had, like Belize did not feel super good. It didn't feel good to not really be able to talk to the locals and doing a VBS but knowing like everybody was showing up because we had good materials and food after and like that church isn't going to be able to sustain that and just a bunch of stuff that I felt very weird about and yet doing service projects that you don't know if they're helpful Mm -hmm. and then leading one myself that I thought was sort of different but (laughs) I look back at it now and I'm like yeah it was exactly the same. You called it a learning experience though didn't you? Yeah, sure. I I called it a learning experience, though, which was a good change. (laughs) And then when Ivy and I traveled, when we were in Zambia, we helped a Bible college, and there was a lot of things I felt really uncomfortable with that. So, yeah, like, why is this so hard to break? And whose job is it to break it, almost? Because there is a power imbalance, but the Mexican Mexican churches are saying yes to these missions. They can always say no. Mm -hmm. How do you break this? And why is it, why is it still happening? 
Mm. Well, I think it's hard because it goes against the maybe the grain of uh, North American culture or U.S. and Canadian culture, I guess. Um, hey, you're part of North America. Yeah, but we consider <laughs> ourselves Latin America, oh, so okay. kind of interesting. Okay, I mean, I think some people ask these hard questions, like, "Is this really helping? Is this really actually um, mm. making a difference?" And, but I think just like in order to have those questions answered, you can't just like think think them and then answer them. I, I think you actually just have to sit with them and then ask the people and then. We're not used to long processes of hmm. of anything. <laughs> and to actually ask these questions and wait for an answer and develop a relationship from the other side, from the Mexican counterpart, that would trust you enough to actually tell you the truth is hard. It takes time. And I think Mexican culture is hospitable. They they hmm. would say yes because it's it's how would they say no to the good will of their brothers and sisters from right. the north. Okay. I think huh. churches that kind of start understanding the power imbalance uh, might start saying, well, I don't want this to happen. I want only this to happen. But mm. I think it's really hard because sometimes the pastors don't even speak English. Mm -hmm. And so right, the even right. the communication is not clear enough because there's not people who actually can communicate well. Right. And I think from the other part, from the U.S. or Canadian I think there's actually more responsibility in the sense that they're imposing an agenda, even if they say we don't have an agenda or we just want to help. Mm. I mean, there's an imposition of an agenda in the sense that people do want, want to come to Mexico to feel better about themselves, mm. to feel like they've done something for others. But mm. you have to challenge <laughs> that presupposition by itself because are you really better? Mm. That was really good. That was really great. Yeah, that was. <sighs> I know I keep going back to my own experience, but like I've really done a bunch of these. It's, it's like, <laughs> this is your confession keep, like... time, hey. So when I was in Zambia, uh, they I didn't have any skills. Like Ivy was like a social worker, so like actually did helpful things. And they were like, oh, Tanner, <laughs> <laughs> you're almost done a history degree. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Almost done a history degree I... <laughs> on European history. <laughs> But they were like, oh, well, you could you could teach our leaders a class. And so, like, I taught Nehemiah, like, a, but the whole time I'm thinking, like, you literally do not need to hear my lessons. Like, I knew that. Mm. At least I wasn't oblivious at the time. But I really got the sense that this was a way for that church to continue to receive financial aid for the projects they actually wanted to do. Mm. And not even in a cynical way, like... This was actually the only way that you could keep that relationship with the Western people who had more money. So do you think a lot of Mexican churches, yes, it's goodwill, yes, it's hospitality, but like short-term missions and accepting them are the only way they can get the financial aid for projects mm. they actually care about? Mm -hmm. Or is that is that wrong? I think that can be true in, in some cases, definitely. It is fair to say that, that some of that is accepted because it kind of helps with other projects that the church is really passionate about. But also I think there is a sense that money can be used to develop friendships, uh, which I don't think it's totally wrong. So I think like hmm. uh, if someone has resources and they can put those resources in for others to use them or to to bless others in a sense 
And in the in the midst of that, you actually are intentional about developing a friendship so that you can actually know how to better bless the other. I think that's actually not, not bad. Hmm. But there's a friendship, there's a relationship in the midst of that, which I think that's what's lacking in a lot of these hmm. short-term mission trips because it's really hard to develop a pr- friendship hmm. in a week. It's so hard because, I mean, it is usually with youth groups where the students by nature only spend a couple years within the ministry. And so if your church does one every three years or something, you might get the chance to do it twice. And then the youth – that while the youth pastor on average stays at a church like, what, like a year and a half. Ooh. And so like Ooh. there's just so much turnover that unless it were like a church where people are much more rooted, they're in the church for 20 years, whatever – Unless you have like a church partnership, boy, is it hard to have any continuity. Okay, question for you, Alejandra. I see maybe two different ways of solving it. Like I think everybody agrees the current system is unhealthy, it's patronizing, it's all those things. Two, possibly three ways of solving it. One would be the common criticism is, okay, it's $2,000 per student to go for a week somewhere why not take all that money and send it to the church and don't come? Hmm. You know, like just a purely based on like how to use your money best. Mm -hmm. Just send the money, don't come. And don't do short-term missions anymore because they need your money more than they need you to hold kids. The other one would be something like what you talked about with InterVarsity where we move away from a model of doing anything and it's a purely learning thing. But we still do spend... $2,000 $2,000 a student to get them there. What do you see as the most helpful for maybe both parties, or you could just speak from the receiving end of these trips? Well, I wouldn't say just dropping it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be for that because I actually think the North American church, the Canadian, the U.S. church needs us. So I think they need to come in contact with people who are different from them. Uh, They need to come in contact with other realities, with people who speak differently, who live differently, who have the same faith, but in a different context. So I think think the U.S. and Canada, even though sometimes they think they have it all, they actually don't. So I think the church actually actually needs to see other other ways of doing and being the church. Um, So I wouldn't say just dropping them. Mm. Dropping it is is the answer. But I do think that short-term mission as we have been saying, actually doesn't expose people to those other realities and to the Mexican church and to the Mexican reality. It's just religious tourism, and it actually doesn't transform anything. So I think things need to be framed differently, and I think that needs that means that some of our theology needs to be reworked. Mm-hmm. So I think that it actually goes deeper than that. And I think we need to rediscover the value or yeah, of community and of relationships and of actually solidarizing with others and and not wanting to fix others. I mean, I don't I don't think we mm. like when others sees that I'm struggling for them to tell me, oh, I think you should do this. Actually, we value that the other comes with us and walks with us. But that's a different model and that sometimes is not very exciting, let's say. The, my experience has been that actually out of these experiences within a varsity, I've developed really good friendships with some of these people. And actually there are people who now come and visit me often. Mm. And I come and visit. 
and we are partners in mission and we see ourselves differently and our friendship that has been intentional throughout the years has been a source of transformation for me and I for them so I think God has used that yeah thank you Mm -hmm. appreciate that Alejandra we are going to have you back for another episode which our listeners will hear a week later but thank you Mm-hmm. It is so good to hear the other side of this uh, to help us process. Mm-hmm. Super helpful. Thank you, Alejandra. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jack, do we have any listener mail we're going to go over? I don't know if we could go over it, but like, there's been some kind stuff that's been said. Just Should I just do some shout-outs to David Shorten for commenting on like actually sending us a thoughtful email? That was super cool of him. David's a big supporter of us. Didn't we he disagree that. with us, though? Oh, totally. But it was guy. so good. Oh, he's the worst. It was so fruitful okay. and full. And thank you, David. I think that's it for us. Thank you for listening. I'm Tanner Hoffs. I'm Jackson O'Brien. And I'm Alejandro Ortiz. Alejandro Ortiz.